علينا فتح مبينا وزوقنا رزق مباركة كريمة الله معلمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزيدنا علما In the name of Allah, the beneficent, the, mer- the merciful, <coughs> may the peace and blessings of Allah Azza wa be upon his Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. As-salamu alaykum wa ta'ala wa barakatuh. And see everyone, jazakallah khair for coming. Um, inshallah tonight, um, we'll resume, uh, inshallah, kind of, or do a continuation of the, of the reflections we did last time. Actually, last couple of times. Uh, what we've done was to uh, touch on Surah Al-Baqarah and highlight a couple of significant passages that ultimately speak of our relationship with Allah Azza wa in a very profound and meaningful way. We spoke about Ayat al-Kursi. If you recall how it came in the midst of this uh, significant surah, that, you know, one of the greatest surahs in the Quran, to highlight what it is that we need to know about Allah And we spoke about how Rasulullah stated that indeed Ayat al-Kursi is the greatest verse in the Quran. That if there were things that you needed to learn about Allah, they're summed up in that surah, in that ayah, excuse me. Then we went to the end of the surah, Surah Al-Baqarah, the longest surah in the Quran. And there were a couple of verses at the end. Do you remember from a month ago? They were the gist of the surah. Those two verses at the end of Surah Al-Baqarah are two verses that Rasulullah was very keen to recite on a daily basis that we oftentimes neglect as Muslims. What were these two verses about and why were they placed at the end of Surah Al-Baqarah? Now, just to recall, Rasulullah said that those two verses, Amana Rasulu bina until the end, um, came from a treasure from underneath the throne of Allah And that there were like a light that emanated from the heavens. Rasulullah was so happy to receive them and they actually were delivered in a special way to Rasulullah uh, as they were carried by the angels of Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Again, what, why were they so special? We spoke about this last time. They summarized in the words of the believers, their understanding of their own nature in relation to Allah and acknowledge the fundamental thoughts and concepts that they had about Allah himself within those two verses. So it started with a declaration of faith that Rasulullah had faith and the believers. And then there were a few highlights from those statements that were uttered by the believers in which they said, you know, first of all, before that, Allah stated that indeed Allah does not burden a soul beyond its capacity. How much do we need this? We spoke about this. You know, one of our key struggles in life is that we oftentimes believe that whatever it is that we're experiencing, the struggles, the hardships are beyond our capacity. Allah guaranteed in this verse that indeed you will never be burdened beyond your capacity. Impossible. And then went on to um, Allah to summarize in the words, again, of the believers, their understanding of their own nature. So we'll find them saying, oh Allah, um, we realize and acknowledge our mistakes. Ya Allah, we ask for your forgiveness and your mercy. Ya Allah, forgive us, etc., etc. They're making du'as in which they expressed their deep need of Allah and they acknowledged that they're capable of making mistakes, that they ultimately need that 
the mercy and the forgiveness of Allah This is a very profound and fundamental kind of statement from Allah in which he affirms that you and I are not perfect. You and I are going to be, be making mistakes in this journey of life and you and I ultimately need Allah to kind of make us recover and heal and grow. And he summed up the whole surah with this statement to remind you and me about what we need as we undertake this journey with Allah Now within this surah, Surah Al-Baqarah, we see Allah alluding to stories of those that have failed in following the guidance of Allah This Surah Al-Baqarah, the greatest of the surahs in the Quran is always about guidance and how much we need the guidance of Allah. There are two things stated in Surah Al-Fatiha, which we also spoke about, that we need. Core needs of the human being. One is the need for guidance. Right? But within the same Surah, Surah Al-Fatiha, that we recite minimally 17 times a day, we find ourselves expressing another need. Ya Allah, we worship you alone, and we seek help from you alone. So Allah presented in this surah, in this surah two fundamental needs that you and I cannot live without, or we oftentimes forget. We need Allah's assistance in everything that we do, in the salah that we perform, in getting up from our seats, in thinking, in feeling, in taking steps in life, in doing everything we need the help of Allah. In fact, we're not even capable of doing anything without Allah because Allah is the source of all energy. But it's a reminder. We're supposed to remind ourselves in Surah Al-Fatiha, Ya Allah, I am so dependent on you. I'm nothing without you. You're you're the, that source that is responsible for me and I'm acknowledging it. You alone I seek help from. And then I say, you say, Ya Allah guide me. Even in guidance, I cannot make it on my own. I need Allah to show me the way. Imagine just living with this realization. It's transforming. Then Allah went on in the surah to show us examples of people that have failed this test. Failed to turn to Allah with faith. Failed to believe in the reality that transcends this reality. He spoke abundantly about Banu Israel. And one of the challenges of Banu Israel is that they struggled with believing in the unseen. And Allah demonstrated in Surah Al-Baqarah the consequences of not believing in the unseen. Now, if you don't believe in the unseen, what's left? Material, material life, correct? There is nothing that I believe in, that life beyond this world, then this world becomes everything, it becomes my utopia. Imagine if we live our lives believing that utopia is here. We're going to fight for it, isn't that right? Isn't that true? If I don't believe that there's something that waits for me after my death, then this becomes the destination. This becomes the object of my pursuits. So what happens is that the heart hardens. And Allah affirms that in Surah Al-Baqarah. The human being becomes very corrupt, manipulative. All that we witness in our age and in the preceding eras of the human being in which they engage in corruption and evil arose from one main thing, brothers and sisters. The lack of belief in a greater reality. It really profoundly corrupts the human being. And once we turn the switch and, and just believe that there is a reality greater than this reality and live for it, it also transforms us, but in a very significant and powerful way. 
it kind of elicits the good of the human being because suddenly, you know, what we live for here is not the destination. What we go through in this life is not the destination, so it doesn't become the object of worship. So Allah highlights this in Surah Al-Baqarah and then gives us examples of those whose hearts really believe in this. So he'll talk about Prophet Ibrahim as one of the most beautiful examples of humanity. He's a great prophet of Allah and Allah shows how he surrendered to Allah. And that faith manifests in Allah. Show, that faith shows up when Allah asks us to do things. Because if we don't believe in Allah, we don't take him to be real, then whenever he asks us to do things, we're going to kind of quarrel with those things. We're going to argue with them. Just as anybody who doesn't believe, who might pretend to believe. But Allah showed us how Prophet Ibrahim really surrendered to Allah. Whenever he asked him to do something, he submitted to Allah. So he gave him as a beautiful example of faith and guidance. What we're going to talk about today is another beautiful example that Allah uh, highlights in Surah Al-Baqarah, but also in other parts of the Quran, as qasas, as stories. Now, one of the interesting features of the Quran is that it rarely, perhaps it does this only once, it rarely presents a story, a narrative, in its completion from beginning to end in one place. If I were to ask you, what's one story that was narrated completely from beginning to end in one place without any breakage. Well, what would that be? Surah is the only story in the Quran that was captured in one surah from beginning to end. Every other story of the prophets were scattered in the Quran, bits and pieces. In fact, you might see the beginning at the end of the Quran or in the midst of the Quran and the end of the story at the beginning. The question is why? Why does Allah do this? Why doesn't it just tell us the story from beginning to end in one place? Let us remember that the Quran was revealed to Rasulullah over a period of 23 years to address his needs. It, it came down as an answer to the situations that arose in his life, to address his emotional needs. The, the times when he was when he was sad and, and, and grieving for the loss of his wife. Or the loss of his uncle when he was confronted by um, hostility and, and harm from his own community and family. How does he deal with this emotionally and spiritually? Allah was sprinkling on him the passages of the Quran to treat his situation. And amongst those mechanisms or tools was to tell him stories. But Allah picked the, the parts of the stories that were appropriate for his needs. Make sense? He didn't need to tell him the whole story of uh, the people of Ad or Thamud or the story of Musa entirely in that particular time. He sprinkled on him the part of the story of Musa that he needed in that particular instance. When he needed to be reminded that the promise of Allah, for example, is real, hang in there, be patient, then he shows him in the story of Musa, pay attention, his story is like your story. The stories of all the prophets of Allah are very similar. And the prophet that is closest to Rasulullah is actually Prophet Musa. So he's actually the most mentioned prophet in the Quran. But we'll find the bits and pieces sprinkled throughout the Quran. But Allah, just as he was addressing Rasulullah, he's addressing who? The Quran is for you and me. The Quran is the revelation of Allah to you and me. Allah called it mercy, I call, I call it a, a source of healing, a 
source of guidance, the light that we desperately need. So our job is to also visit with those passages to derive the lessons and the healing that we need. But ultimately, if you engage the Quran a lot, then what you begin to do, and there is a beautiful secret in sprinkling the stories, you're going to find some lessons here. You're going to find some lessons there. Bits and pieces of stories that compel questions. Because it's not in one place. Now, what does that do to the intellect, if you think about it? If it's not in one place, easily accessible for you. Doesn't that challenge the mind? Don't you agree? So suddenly your job as a carrier of the Quran is to reconstruct the narrative. Make sense? Because it's not given to you easily. Bits and pieces are given to you. So your job is to map it out. Start drawing the lines between the dots. And suddenly what emerges is a beautiful picture. But it demands intellectual rigor. Make sense? So the Quran reads you, as we said last time. Reads us before we read it. It gives you what you're looking for. You deepen your uh, reflections in the Quran, it gives you more. But as you begin to journey throughout the Quran and visit with these stories in a deep way, the, the, the picture starts to jump out at you and you start to reconstruct the beautiful narrative. This is not a human book. It doesn't follow the sequential narrative of human authors. And many people say, well, this makes sense. Well, Allah is not a human being. This is divine. So it has a divine logic in it, not human logic. The story that we're going to highlight today is a story of Adam and in a similar fashion, it's sprinkled throughout the Quran. Bits and pieces. Right? Why? For us to first of all dig deep into it, right? As we journey through the Quran, but ultimately also sit back and reconstruct the beautiful narrative. Why is the story of Adam mentioned in Surah Al-Baqarah is a question? Allah presented in Surah Al-Baqarah's stories of failure, clarifying completely what will happen to the human being when they don't follow the guidance of Allah, right? Ultimate loss. The loss for the human being. Right? Things catch up with the human being. But imminent failure. And in the end, loss of the next world, which is not a joke. Right? Talk about complete, like, you know, loss of everything. But all examples of, 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 of um, beauty, of, of uh, obedience to Allah, surrender to Allah, through Ibrahim, and now through Adam, alayhi salam. So what Allah does in Surah Adam is something very extraordinary. For me, you know, this story of Adam is, is an anchor story, right? Allah says in the Quran to Prophet Muhammad we're going to narrate you stories, qasas. These are wise stories. These are not entertainment. These are meant to raise you up. So the stories of the Quran, us reflecting on them, will allow us to grow, will allow us to heal. We're going to find the, the shared pain and the shared struggle. Life is full of struggles. If I were, I know very well, just as for me, and I'm sure it's a common experience for all of us, that right now we're struggling. Right now we have questions that are not answered. Isn't it true? Isn't one of the greatest causes of pain for the human being the fact that we do not understand why pain is there? What's the purpose behind my pain now? What's the purpose behind my struggles now? Behind that hardship that showed up? What's the purpose behind, behind feeling so lonely and broken? Why are things not working out? Even though we're trying harder and harder, and suddenly you know we feel good and things are working out, only for hardship to show, show up again. Why is that happening? The question is: Are we capable of understanding 
the wisdom and the purpose behind every struggle and hardship we experience. And the more that we demand answers, the deeper the pain and the more broken we become. So where do we find answers? Right? And it turns out that we're not going to have all the answers. That's part of the surrender of Allah. Right? Within the stories, we're going to find these beautiful lessons emerging about the best of people not even understanding. That there was a journey through their lives that at the end, just as the stories themselves being sprinkled in the Quran and you could reconstruct them, their lives made sense at the end. Make sense? So you're not going to make sense of your life until the end. And I'm not, I'm not saying when you're alive. I'm saying when we leave this world. You're going to look back and the whole narrative of your life is going to be the perfect narrative. Can you imagine that? It's real. But if you've made the right choices, make sense? If you made the right choices, when you recon when Allah reconstructs it for you, because it's going to show up in a glimpse when we die. All of life shows up in a glimpse when we die. This experience of time and space is not going to be the, the our reality when we catch our last breath. Right? In that moment when we're struck by the stupor of death, as Allah says in Surah Qaf, you know, when you look at a person dying, they're losing consciousness of this physical, material reality. Their eyes are even swirling around, right? That moment of unconsciousness is actually the opening to the door of consciousness of the next world. They're actually seeing truth as truth is. Everything is so clear. And suddenly their entire life, your life and my life, imagine like 70, 80 years of best, or the 20, 30 years if our lives are short or less or more, they're going to flash before our eyes in a second or two. And Allah affirms this in the Quran. When we leave this world, we're going to look back at this world and think, oh my goodness, it wasn't now. Guaranteed, because the next realm is not a realm that, that has the dimensions of time and space as we know. It's going to be different. Allah says, all this, you think it's long? It's a blink of an eye in the timing of Allah. That's all Allah says, hang in there. But these stories give us the ammunition, just as they gave the ammunition to Rasulullah Muhammad So imagine if we're not engaging with the Quran, we're not engaging with these stories, what would, what would we derive the answers? We're going to be locked into this cycle of fear, grief, loss, confusion, and uncertainty, and it's going to wind us down. It's going to take us out. We need the Quran to resuscitate ourselves. So I'm going to mention just a few things about this story. And I tell you, it's very meaningful for me. It's an original story. It's your story and my story, actually. Because Adam السلام, and Hawa are not only our parents, Allah reminds us in the Quran, you're all issued from one set of parents. Look at the different colors that we have right now, the different inclinations, temperaments, right? Orientations, you know, things we like, things we don't like, height, sizes, etc., ethnicities, races, we all came from one set of parents. Allah keeps you mind. Right? It's mentioned throughout the Quran. So this is the story. Imagine you don't know your parents in this life. Every single orphan wants to know about their parents. Isn't it true? How can we don't understand or seek to understand this? The details, the intricacies of the original story of our parents. Now, how many of us have, have thought about the story of Adam and Hawa? And I know when we reflect on it, we are confused about certain things. I'll give you an example. 
Why was Adam and Hawa placed in Jannah? Why were they placed in Jannah then taken out because of a tree? Has it ever occurred to you the question of why did Allah place that tree there? How come just not give him Jannah, right? You already gave him Jannah, Allah, you're the most merciful, most beneficent. You put Adam and Hawa, you created them out of dust. You put him in Jannah, you said enjoy it all, but don't What's forbidden for you is one thing, one haram, which is the tree. Hasn't it occurred to you that the tree didn't have to be there? So how about Allah Azza wa Jal, if he knows you're going to be in trouble, if you eat chocolate, put the chocolate there. Does it seem to be unjust? Does it seem to be an entrapment? Is Allah just looking to punish Adam and say, I caught you? You know, have you heard of those stories where they put a jewelry in a car? and roll down the window and let people pass by to, to, to steal it and then they'll catch them? Is that fair? Is that right? It's not right. It's really not right. It's, it's, you know, this whole idea of setting people up to commit crimes to get the headline in the news. A lot of, by the way, even well, like very significant crimes have occurred or they'll catch them before they commit the crime, right? They'll have them on tape or something. This is entrapment. Was this an entrapment? It's a very good, significant question. We're going to learn that from this story. Allah Himself will tell us it wasn't an entrapment. Allah was not looking to punish Adam and I and Halak. Was it a good thing then? <coughs> the other question is why were they then placed in Jannah first? Why were they taken out of it? What's the wisdom of this? What's the purpose of that? Now, in the story, we're going to see and learn amazing things about Allah Himself. We're going to learn amazing things about our own nature and how to make it a life. All that is summed up in the story of Adam and Hawa So Allah Azza wa will, will, will kind of visit with two passages in the Quran. One is Surah Al-Baqarah because we've been talking about Surah Al-Baqarah. And the other that I'll touch on is in Surah Al-A'raf because it contains a very significant dua. And I tell you, subhanAllah, like uh, a dua we desperately need for healing. So Allah Azza wa Jalla will start with uh, verses in Surah um, Al-Baqarah, uh, verse 30. So Allah says, in it, بَعْدَ عَوْدُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّطَانَ الرَّجِيمُ وَالْقَالَ رَبُّكَ لِلْمَلَائِكَةِ إِنِّي جَعَلُوا فِي الْأَرْضِ خَلِيفَةً قَالَ وَتَجْعَلُوا فِيهَا مَنْ يُفْسِدُ فِيهَا وَأَسْفِكُ الدِّمَاءَ وَنَحْنُ نُسَبِّحُ بِحَمْدِكَ وَنُقَدِّسُ لَكَ قَالَ إِنِّي <laughs> Um, till a verse 39, uh, excuse me, 38, talking about the experience of Adam and Hawa So what happens in the story? Here Allah declares a time when he spoke to the angels, where he said, I'm declaring to you that I'm going to put on earth a khalifa. What's khalifa? What's khalifa? What is that? Ambassador, vice chairman, we see multiple translations, custodian, sort of the representative of Allah. Does Allah need representative? It's the wisdom of Allah. Allah doesn't need representatives, right? It's an honor for the human beings. So Allah declared to the angels, I'm creating a special creature. Remember, that's your father and my father. So whatever he's bestowing on him is bestowing on who? You and me. We need to know where we're going. We need to know our purpose. We need to be reminded about it. It's, 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 we get in trouble when we forget what we're made for. 
even though you and I can state it as an answer, yeah, we're here to worship Allah. We're here for the next world. But is it real? Is it is it alive in our hearts? Are we feeling it? Are we living it? Do you have that fervent desire to fulfill it? Those are deep questions. That's why Allah keeps repeating the message in the Quran. You and I need to hear it. So he says, I'm putting, creating, or making a custodian, or putting a custodian on earth. What was the answer of the angels? Shock. Apparently, according to some narrations, there were other creation like the human beings before Adam was created, and they wreaked havoc on them. So the initial shock of the angels that don't know, the only one that knows is Allah. Remember, I think, Kursi, one of the key things we need to learn about Allah and remind ourselves about in the midst of our confusion and uncertainty is that Allah knows everything. Knows everything. And enough for him to know everything, I and you don't need to know. I tell you, I one of the things that I, it's like my own mini tool, I remind myself about when I'm utterly confused, like in my state of pain, confusion, why is this happening? I say, I'm not capable of knowing, first of all. What do five faculties know? The eyes, ears, taste, smell, okay, and, and, and uh, you know, sense of touch. What, what, is, what can that grasp from reality? A very tiny sliver, right? Yeah, we know it. We can't even see all colors. How is it that we demand and suddenly answers for everything? Including the wisdom behind our struggles and hardships and things taking time. So enough that Allah knows everything and nothing is random. Allah reminds us of this, right? So here's Allah reminding us what we're made for. Our father was created as an angel, excuse me, as a, as a, as a vicegerent of Allah. The angels were shocked. They didn't know. So angels don't know. They said, questioning Allah, not out of disrespect, but out of curiosity, Right? <clears throat> Saying, no, Allah, you're going to put on earth someone that will spill blood and spread mischief. <laughs> because that's what they know. Limited perspective. What did Allah say? Look at his answer. He didn't explain. He said, I know that which you do not know. You're not even capable of understanding. Surrender. The angels surrender. Allah knows. So he knows. Allah's not random. Allah doesn't create out of play. Allah has intentional purpose, design behind everything. It's all connected, and it's all for a grander purpose. What a beautiful thing to know that you're in the hands of the one who is infinitely wise. Every single thing you're experiencing is calculated. He reminded the angels of this. Now, Allah next says, <clears throat> We know he was created <clears throat> out of dust. Allah fashioned him and gave him form. Your form and my form. And then he says something beautiful about Adam that distinguished him. He gave him intellect. And we know one thing, one more thing. He gave him limited free will. The faculty of choice. Angels don't have choice. That's another distinctive feature that many people kind of get confused about. It's like, why is God giving us this limited will if you know everything, right? That's, do we have to have choice? Do we really have choice of God is controlling everything? All these questions, perennial questions that throw people off. We'll never understand it completely. We take what Allah tells us. We have intellect of Allah in us with. Allah taught Adam the knowledge of everything, the names of everything. How would have Adam known what a cloud is? 
for the function of the cloud is a plant, a tree, a flower, hands, foot, nose. Allah taught them not only their function, but what they're called. And by the way, naming things is very important. With that, first of all, that language, we cannot communicate. We cannot even learn anything, nor communicate knowledge itself. So it's a very powerful tool that Allah gave us tongues with which to speak and name things. Now what happens if we did not name things correctly? Imagine if I called water fire and you understood fire to be something burning, what will happen? Or call fire water. And I call the baby water. What will the baby do? I mean, babies will do it anyway, right? They'll burn themselves. But you understand what I'm going. So suddenly, if I called this something, I gave it the wrong label, I violated its function. Make sense? <laughs> What's happened in our day and age? Well, I should have started way before. Does the shaitan ever come and say, hey, go get naked? No, he doesn't say that. Historically, it's been a hideous thing. Hideous, right? But what he will do is put, a, put on it another label and call it what? Well, people will just get free, right? Be yourself. That's the label. Because people, when they're deluded by a positive label, even though the substance of the thing, of the object, is horrific, they get tricked. They trick themselves. That's all that the shaitan is. So naming things properly is very significant. Naming phenomenon, concepts, behaviors. That's shameful. That's wrong. That's toxic. That's haram. Allah named everything and labeled them appropriately. We're the ones who corrupted the labeling system. Shaitan does that. Because we're not going to be saying, hey, getting naked is cool, awesome. We know it's messed up, so we're going to have to give it something positive. A spin. Getting drunk. Hurting people, hey, because you're smart. You need to get ahead of other people, right? Put, put on it a positive spin to justify it. That's what the shaitan does. Very simple. So Allah gave Adam the knowledge of everything. But within that, the knowledge of everything, essentially was given the tools of civilization. To know how to live functionally with everything. Then Allah Azza wa Jal um, <clears throat> said, you know, um, moving on, inshallah, he commanded uh, Iblis, in verse 34, Allah commanded the angels to prostrate to Adam. They all did. You notice, they didn't ask questions. Allah said, do it. They have faith in Allah. Surrender. They are aware of Allah's power and knowledge and wisdom and mercy. I'm not here to negotiate with you, Allah. Like, who am I? I'm a creature of yours. They don't even have a choice in it, but they also willingly submit to Allah. They're all prostrated to Adam. And it wasn't a prostration of worship. It was a prostration of respect to a creature that Allah distinguished not only with an intellect, but with something else. What is it? What distinguished Adam from the rest of creation? What is it? Dignity. Dignity. Excellent honor. But what did Allah put in him that made him especially connected to Allah. A substance. And he's made of clay and, okay, materially, physically, he's made of the substance of earth to live on earth. But he was given something else to draw him up. Oh. Allah says, we breathe into from, from, from our spirit. This is incredible. 
Adam carried a spark from Allah. That breath of Allah delivered to Adam and all of his children, including you and me, capacities and potentials and gifts that make us right for the heavens. Because otherwise we're going to cling to this. So within us is a substance that connects us to the heavens. It's not from here. We will never understand it. But we feel it. It's the breath that endowed upon him the capacity for mercy, for knowledge, for empathy, for hope, for courage, for strength, for faith, for loving Allah, for desiring and yearning the eternal life. All within that breath. Without it, this is home. That's the breath in you and me. It's the nur. It's the thing that you need to awaken. That's what we do. When we do these things, including the session, it's a reminder to awaken the soul, the spirit that is hmm, transcendent. Transcendent. So he deserved the prostration. Now, we know what happened next. The one creature that refused the prostration was who? <clears throat> Shaitan. Now, Allah Azza mentions him here as Iblis. Now, we hear the Shaitan mentioned with two names. What are they? No. Shaitan and Iblis. What's the difference? Okay. Everything is traced in the Arabic language back to the root. In this particular instance, while Allah spoke of his disobedience and how he was a kafir because he refused, Allah asked him, why are you not prostrating? Pay attention. Allah is asking Shaitan questions. Could have just smacked him into the hellfire. Allah is teaching us. The significance of dialogue, even with the ones that commit egregious things, ask questions. So Allah in front of everybody, Allah didn't need to dialogue with anybody disobeying them. He said, Iblis, why did you disobey? Allah says, he said, I'm not prostrated. I'm better than him. And then he gave the justification. You, Allah, made me a fire. You made him of clay. Now, the first instance of racism, right? Originated from two qualities, arrogance and jealousy. Root of all racism, and it's, and it's grounded in ignorance. So he looked at the shell, and he was confused by it. And he really, really believed that Allah made him to be better. So he felt superior. He felt more exclusive. And to the point where he's willing to disobey Allah. That's how arrogant he was. Arrogance is really to, the definition of it is to feel that we're better than others because of something special that you feel you have and to deny the truth. That's the definition of Rasulullah. And he possessed it. He was the first racist. And Allah warned us of this, right? That even colors, and sort of the room is mentioned, colors and variations of tongues and accents is actually a sign of Allah. That's beautiful. Each and every one, one of those instances is beautiful. So our reaction should be, subhanAllah, how beautiful. Imagine, that should be our reaction. Now, you can just, just reflect on our behaviors, even as Muslims, amongst each other, in terms of looking at each other's colors, heights, width, race, family, name, uh, accomplishments. How do we measure ourselves? We're in competition. Titles. Allah says, all of it is rotten. All of this are instances from Rasulullah says, jahiliya. Ignorance. And it's going to catch up with us. And, and, and Allah does not permit anyone in Jannah that has a speck of arrogance 
And beautifully in the hadith, Rasulullah said, one of the diseases from the times of Jahiliyyah that will stay with the Ummah of Rasulullah Muhammad is boasting about their lineage and their accomplishments. Can you imagine? I'm like, are oh, we reading us even today? This is the hadith, authentic hadith. Till the end of time, we must have loved the books. What I am, doctor, this, that. Make sure you call me by my title. Hey, remember my last name. Rasulullah said, you're ill, and many of you will have this illness, and you cannot get treated with easily. This is actually a scary thing. And the other is insulting each other with our kind of lineage. Ah, you're from this family? Ooh, you're from the South? Oh, like, it's an illness. <laughs> you know, but it's everywhere. Everywhere. I don't know about you guys. Like, I come from Palestine. Like, we have special jokes from different towns. Like, and it's great. When I reflect on I'm like, how did I used to laugh at that? Because one of the last jokes we have is about people who stretch their language. Life. Like, I was so embarrassed when I came across that person instead of the moon. Well, this is one of your variations in your tongues. It's a sound of Allah. You should say subhanAllah and not laugh. Like people who stutter, people who just shrink the language or compress it. It says, even, even making fun of people in the South, mm, it's not cool Islamically. Wow. This is amazing. This is profound. Imagine people hear this almost. Shaytan was the first representation of it. Then moving on, and of course I didn't talk about marriage, did I? Oops. Right? But all the problems that happened because of race and the ignorance. And I gave my last quote, I was talking about this. And, and I come across so many horrendous stories in the community, including things such as you know, even like uh, well, I'm a category of people that struggles a lot with this is converts. I, I came, I, I was speaking with a dad who, whose daughter was uh, proposed to by convert. You know what the dad told me? He's refused, he was refused. He's like, he's not a real Muslim. I'm like, why? How do you know? He's like, it's a convert. I'm like, all the Sahaba were converts, right? Abu Bakr was a convert. What are you talking about? What if the ignorance is so like entrenched, like we're in something, right? We need Allah, we need the Quran to correct us, reform us. Moving on, inshallah. So, and then Allah Ajah tells us what happens next. So Allah expelled the shaykhah. Now I didn't comment on Iblis. Iblis, the word Iblis is from Balasa in Arabic, which means to be, it has multiple meanings, expelled or to rebel. So in this instance, because he was in the act of rebelling and he was being expelled from the mercy of Allah at the same time, he was entitled Iblis from Balasa. When he is referred to as Shaytan, as we will see next, Allah put Adam and Hawa in Jannah. This is the, the main question. Like, oh my goodness, they have Jannah. Utopia. And Allah said in it, Oh ya Adam, uskun anta wa Jannah. Ya Adam, you and your wife Hawa, who was created from you, Right? Dwell in Jannah eternally. You will not experience hunger, thirst, um, you know, any struggle. And then he says one thing. Don't come near that one tree and he showed it. One haram. Can you imagine? Everything's haram. We have a few harams now in our life. They have one haram to do. In case you're like beating yourself up or struggling with haram. One haram in Jannah. And but, but not like your life and my life. 
There's no illness, disease, hunger, waking up to go to your job, rush hour, coronavirus, nothing, right? A human being dying in their life, nothing. Can you imagine like five-star hotel, service around the clock, you didn't have to get out of your bed, like just knock yourself out. Guaranteed. But just don't go to the end of the hallway and there's this drink you're not supposed to and you just go there and drink it. Can you imagine? That's what happened. And the question is why? So he said, Now, shajara in Arabic is an amazing word. Um, so within it, the, the verb is shajara, the, the root word of shajara, which is tree. It means disputation, the disputes. So it's interesting. So the tree was a tree. That's the substance of it. What did the shaitan do? The shaitan, Allah, tells us this now, sort of also in Araf. So he says, shaitan So the shaitan, not Iblis, he called shaitan. The shaitan made them slip. And in Surah Al-A'raf, Allah says, He whispered to them, saying this in verse 20 in Surah Al-A'raf. More detail. Allah wants you to reconstruct the narrative. He says, Why did your Lord forbid you from eating this tree? Except that you are two angels, or that you might actually become, gain an eternal life through that tree. So he called it something else. Allah says, This is the shajara that is forbidden. That's truth, correct? What did the shaitan do? He couldn't change the nature of the tree, did he? He wasn't able to. He's not a god. But what he did was alter what? The label of the tree. He said, you forgot this tree. It's what can grant you an eternal life in this general. It'll make you true like a king and a queen. And suddenly in a moment when they forgot, Allah says, because it's the nature of human being to forget. We're weak. Remember the last two verses of Surah Al-Baqarah? We're weak. Allah knows that Allah made us to be weak and capable of, because we have choice of succumbing to pressures, coercion, um, solicitations, etc. We have desires that make us cling to this earth. So in one moment they forgot the command of Allah <coughs> and that that tree is not the tree of eternal life. It's a tree of real disputation and it's a forbidden tree. All the shaitan did was whisper. He couldn't compel them. Now, imagine this. Jannah is big. Like, you're in Potomac, Maryland. You have everything. And I'm saying to you, in Hagerstown, there's just like one drawer in a closet. Right? Just don't, don't open it. But you have everything. It's like, Hagerstown? Okay. No problem. I'm not going to go in there. Right? But nonetheless, you take off in your closet and go to Hagerstown. It's far more than that. Can you imagine the, the journey they had to undertake him in house and say, let's go to that tree. Right? Wow, compelled by that seduction. Seduction is powerful. When it overtakes, you know, with desire, we know it, right? When we fell for something. Mm. That's why Allah said, be careful of being drawn by your desires. They're like fire. Nothing will stop you. How many forests and trees must, they, must, they, must have they been through to get to that one tree? Oh my goodness, miles and miles and miles of journeying to get to the tree. It wasn't in front of them. That shows the determination of human being to act on their desires. Even though it's destructive. So they went and ate from the tree. 
But when they ate from it, they realized instantly it wasn't what the shaitan promised them it to do. The shaitan, Allah said, dangle the bait, and his objective was to make them fall. How? By making them hurt themselves. That's it. That's what the shaitan said. I'm going to make you hurt yourself, but I'm not going to call that hurtful behavior something good. No, something bad. I'm going to say it's beautiful. Go ahead and do it, and you're going to enjoy it. You're going to derive immediate satisfaction. You're going to gain something. So in a moment, notice what's happened. So much you can draw from this. They couldn't pay attention to what was good in front of them. They were distracted from the abundant good they're living in, and they started looking at something that they didn't have. How often does that break us and happen to us? You know, a lot of marriages break because of what? One thing, most marriages, I'm not saying all of them, there's a lot that have abuse, et cetera. Most marriages, relationships, friendships, father-child relationships, break because we stop appreciating the good in each other. That's it, we start becoming petty, hang on to the petty things, you know, and, and make problems out of them. We become ungrateful. So in a moment, they became, in a way, ungrateful. They were not paying attention to the good. So they, they got entrapped by a tree. So Allah has made them experience something amazing. So Allah says, I made them experience shame. So there are two innocent souls that have never made a mistake. But nonetheless, they're human beings meant to become what? Custodians on earth. So here, here are the answers coming out. Why would Allah put the tree? Why would Allah let them go eat from the tree? Why would Allah let the shaitan whisper to them? Because Allah had a greater purpose. When they ate from the tree, they experienced this immediate pain and guilt. And in fact, their clothes fell. They became naked. Suddenly, they, they were experiencing things they've never experienced before from the enormity of the guilt and the shame they were feeling. They started raising agenda just to cover their private parts. But more profoundly and importantly, they're experiencing scars and pains that are unimaginable. Like, Oh my goodness, what did we just do? So Allah made them experience it in their feelings and their emotions, but also physically. Why? Why did Allah make it stink to remind them of what happens when you do what? When you violate the rules of Allah. That's it. So it's a blessing we have guilt. It's a blessing we have pain. For those of us who are like, I don't want to go through pain. That's a, that's a summons. That's a reminder that this is not conforming with you. That's why we go through pain. It's a beautiful thing. So they landed in what's called bulma. Bulma is, is darkness. They were literally in a pit of sorrow, pain, scars, regret, and uh, unimaginable offense. You know when you're like, you take a car, you, you know, your parents give you, uh, you know, give you the keys to the car, and the first time you drive, just crash. How are we gonna go home? Should I just do crash the car? What? Well, it's like, you were on a boy like a plank. How would Adam and Hawa fix Allah? They were blank. So for, in their imagination, this is an irrecoverable offense. Can you possibly recover? So I want you brothers and sisters to think of things you've done in your life, or times of instances when you thought, oh my God, what did I do? How did I do that? How did I choose to do that? How did I miss that? How, you know those failures and setbacks and mistakes that were so overwhelming, you thought you have no chance of recovering. But Allah tells us, in, uh, in Surah Al-Baqarah. They were so confused, they didn't know what to say to Allah. 
But then Allah Azza wa Jal says, Allah meant for that to happen. Then Allah inspired him and guided him with words to say, him and Hawa. And those words were going to become the means to which he and her and she recover completely, heal completely, instantly. Can you imagine? How can you possibly, if you look at your failures and setbacks, and most of us beat ourselves up, don't we? When we make mistakes and errors, to the point where, no joke, people commit suicide over mistakes, over profound losses in their lives, over horrendous mistakes and failures. It can devastate human beings. We have an incredible gift from Allah. Allah put Adam and Hawa just for nothing else but to learn this. You're human beings, you're weak, you're going to make mistakes. I'm not expecting you not to make mistakes, but that when you make mistakes, you have to do something, and if you do that one thing, you're going to recover instantly with Allah. Heal and possibly grow and become actually more resilient and better. Yeah. That bulma, the state of darkness they were in, actually became a vehicle for their growth and healing and enlightenment. We often not think of, think of darknesses as being something to be avoided at all costs. Yeah, don't bring it to yourself. But when you're in it and you're feeling it, it's meant to make you grow. So Allah taught him to say this, and it's mentioned in Surah Al-A'raf. Remember, Allah wants you to visit the entire Quran and not one place. So in Surah Al-A'raf, and I want you to notate this, this verse, inshallah, and memorize it. Verse 23 of Surah Al-A'raf, they didn't know what to say. They had tongues, they had language, they were so overwhelmed, they didn't even know how to seek forgiveness. Allah taught us and taught them how to seek forgiveness. He showed them how to say or told them to say, They said this, O oh, our Lord, First of all, they called Allah with one, Rabb. What is Rabb? Rabb is nurture, translated as Lord. But in the Arabic language, Yurabbi means to raise, to resurrect, in a way, to bring up out of nothing. So we say Rabbul Usra, the caretaker of the family. He brings up his children. She brings up her children. It's actually a word of hope, care. When you say Rabbi, my nurturer, caretaker who can bring something out of nothing. So when everything is against you, the word Rabbi, in a way, is a word that should evoke hope, reminder that Allah can make anything possible, raise out of nothing for you and me. So they're acknowledging this. Ya Allah, there's no one. We're alone, we're broken, we messed up. Rabbana, the only one who can raise us up from this desperate situation, we're calling upon him. So Allah, through hardship, teaches us to just feel the need of Allah. Remember? Ya Allah, we need you. When do we really feel the need of Allah? In hardships, isn't it true? Hardships are a blessing. Blessing of Allah. They wake us up. They remind us of what life is about. Otherwise, we chase after life. We only realize that things are flimsy, fleeting, and only when we're put in trouble, and the troubles allow us to learn about the things that hurt us. So that you don't repeat it, that's why we have guilt. But also to remind us, I need Allah right now, I'm drowning. So we start to cry out to Allah. That moment is the best moment. You want. If you had that moment of intimacy with Allah, where you cry out to Him in, with sincerity, authenticity, like desperation, you just fulfill the meaning of your relationship with Allah and the meaning of your existence.
So what he did with Adam and Hawa was to teach him something amazing about how to call upon Allah when they're broken and to say things this, Ya Allah, we wrong ourselves. And if you don't forgive us, Ya Allah, we wronged ourselves. And if you don't forgive us and have mercy on us, we shall lose everything. Why is that statement so powerful? First, they're appealing to Allah with a cry. When you're broken, when you're sad, when you're afraid, cry out to Allah. That's the lesson. Number two, shalom will finish. Be patient with us. Number two, this is something we desperately need. Did they deny what they've done? They didn't. Allah taught them, don't deny it. Most of us, when we make mistakes and commit failures, what do we do? We justify them. We hand the mistake on someone else. We escape because of ego, because of shame, whatever the reasons. And we don't like to admit mistakes. Again, part of the failure of relationships with Allah and with each other, Couples do this, parents and children do this, friends do this. Nobody wants to own it. Everybody start, starts blaming everybody else, but not me. I'm perfect. Allah says, you're not perfect. So say this, say Allah, dhalamna. What's dhalamna? I committed an injustice against who? Myself. Can you imagine that when we make mistakes, hurt ourselves with the trees that Allah forbid from us, metaphorically speaking. All the things that Allah says, don't touch this, don't come near this. It's like the tree. Allah says, it's going to hurt you, don't come near it. But when you when you do that, you're going to place yourself in bulma. Bulma is darkness. But it also means, from bulma, means to commit an oppressive act of injustice against yourself. Can you imagine? Every single time, I don't listen to advice. I don't remember Allah. I insist on the mistakes, on the sins. I'm actually committing wrong injustice against myself. I'm hurting myself. And by so doing, notice the words are connected. Wrong injustice is related to bulmah, which means darkness. It's going to be dark. Automatically. Also, you're going to be in a state of darkness emotionally, spiritually, physically, and then you're going to be blinded. You don't see a bulmah, which is exactly what happens when we insist on the mistakes. The light starts to stops coming in. We start to lack peace. We become angry. We start to become worse and worse. You notice the pattern? Wulmat. Allah says darknesses. So how do I emerge out of it? Allah says, appeal to me in the pit. You have no one to take you out. But here's the way out. All you have to do is amazing. Ya Allah, I committed wul against myself. How many of us do this? Even with others. I'm sorry. I own it. Allah says, once you own your mistakes and acknowledge you did it, don't blame it. Don't blame anybody else. Don't blame the shaitan. Blame yourself. I did it. Yeah, because of the whispers of the shaitan, but I own it. That's key to growth. I swear to you, verses. pay attention to the relationships. What sinks them? But the inability to apologize. Isn't it true? The most beautiful ethic to practice in life. It's that art. Mastering the art of knowing how to apologize sincerely, profusely, as much as needed. Mom, I messed up. I'm sorry I wasn't there. Well, I'm not happy with you. Please forgive me. Over and over and over until they forgive. Now, there are cases where they will not. At least you've done your best. With a spouse, 
with a child, learning actually how to apologize to children. Oh, Muslim parents don't know how to do that, right? It's like, me? Apologize to them? Like, what? Right? It's like, beneath me. Ego. Shaykh on. Really? Rasul was apologizing to everybody. Did Rasul commit mistakes? Never. Never. But he says, if that heals, I'll apologize to you. Sure, I owe it. Even if just to soften hearts. So Allah says, first you owe me apologies. Not because I want an apology. It's because you grow it. So own it and say, oh, Allah, forgive me, I wrong myself. It's exactly the, the verse at the end of Surah Al-Baqarah. That's what it was about. I'm acknowledging that I, I can't handle the burden, Ya Allah. So Allah's saying to Adam and Hawa, you're human beings. I'm going to put you on earth. Here it come, comes together. Before he sent them to earth, where they're going to be having to comply with the guidance of Allah there, the shaitan is there. Allah put him there for a reason. Otherwise, there's no test. Turns out, Jannah was a preparation for them. For what? They had a greater mission for Adam to become a prophet of Allah. So if all along, he was meant to be on earth. But Allah put him in Jannah first to see it. Why? If you put him on earth without seeing Jannah, Jannah be earth becomes what? Jannah for him. He doesn't want him to cling on to this. He wants him to come back. It's beautiful. It's so he gave him a taste of Jannah. I mean, Hawa say, this is your home. But I'm going to give you an experience within it to taste the pain of what? Full. When you hurt yourself. And how to recover and heal and grow. By the way, when they said this statement, guess what happened? They didn't go back to normal. Allah made Adam a Rasul. Means he was honest. Can you imagine that with tawbah to Allah, returning back to Allah, owning your mistakes and learning from them, you don't actually stay the same or go back to the same. You actually grow. You become closer. Bro. That's amazing. Allah says, don't insist on it because it can blind you. But own it. Now with Allah and with human beings. And every single time we do this, we're going to grow in faith. Our hearts will become softer and the light comes back into the heart. What a beautiful, again, we wrap up with this beautiful ethic. So it turns out this whole story was not an entrapment, not a setup, was not a punishment. Even though Adam Hawa left Jannah and it, was, it looked like a fall, Allah wanted them to experience the pain of eating from the tree turns out to be actually an ascent. Because what's Jannah without effort and sweat? Make sense? So Allah put, us, put him on earth and all of his children to sweat it, to earn Jannah, to earn the mercy of Allah. And within this realm, we're going to be tested just as Adam was tested over and over and we're going to have choices. And Allah says, make sure now in the journey, you surround yourself with people who can help you with good choices. That's why we're here. Remind each other what hurts you. See what's hurting us. Right? By helping each other, by becoming a shoulder to lean on. A community. You're going to fall by yourself. So take this very seriously that when we come together, we're aiding each other to be a reminder for each other as to how to make it to the next reality. That life itself doesn't become the object of our worship. Make sense? So... Allah gave Adam and Hawa the taste, put him here with the tools. And the most powerful tool Allah has of them to recover it is to turn to Allah immediately and beg and plead and say, Ya Allah, I made a mistake. Forgive me with the expectation that you'll forgive me. 
and not to put limits on Allah. Allah's forgiveness and mercy is boundless. Allah showed it. He forgave both of them, even though they committed one da one haram, and made both of them recover and become his custodians on earth. And all of the blessings, imagine, the good that we're making, they're earning it. So they didn't see this. They didn't see they were prepared for a bigger mission. Just as you and I, since we have a greater mission. It's a difficult path. We'll make mistakes. We're weak. We forget. It's okay. Pick yourself up. Don't beat yourself up. Turn to Allah as it is. Say that Allah made mistakes. I'm sorry. Our parents will not deserve apologies. Our siblings, our children, our community, whoever. Like, think tonight about anything you're wrong. Allah raised them. It's a sign of courage. That's, that's from Allah. It's a beautiful method. Softens heart, restores relationships, and heals you spiritually, but ultimately with Allah as well himself. Again, check out verse 23 in Surah Al-A'raf as for this beautiful statement that Allah taught Adam and Hawa with. And by the way, one, one final thing, the story of Yunus right, in Surah Al-Anbiya and in other places of the Quran, all of them made mistakes, recovered through acknowledging and owning what they've done, like Yunus and they emerge out of the darkness. That's what we need in our lives because we're living in darkness. That's Allah to guide us in the straight path. That's Allah to empower us with guidance, to open our hearts to His remembrance. That's Allah to make us among those who acknowledge their guilt, who acknowledge their mistakes and failures, who seek out His forgiveness and mercy. Ya Allah, forgive us for our sins. Ya Allah, shortcomings and failures. Surround us with your mercy, encompass us, Ya Allah, in your rahmah, and guide us in the street path. Inshallah, after Salat um, al-Isha, we'll inshallah meet in the kitchen, inshallah. We have snacks, inshallah, as usual. So hang with us, inshallah. Allah, 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 Allah